you would, please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. I think we're probably going to read verse 13 as well. It's a little hard to figure out where to cut this chapter in half. We'll uh, take two weeks to cover it all. Next week, we'll probably be looking at verses 8 through, I believe it's 24 is the final verse of the chapter. But without further ado, Genesis uh, 3... Verses 1 says 12 in the bulletin, but like I said, I'm going to read through verse 13. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 13. Hear God's word, his holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Thus ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's ask his blessing now as we consider his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Man does not live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So give us the food we need this morning. Show us our sin, but show us our great Savior, in whose name we ask all this. Amen. There's a TV show called Naked and Afraid. I've never seen it. I don't recommend it. I think it's kind of like Survivor with no challenges and games, no voting people off the island, and in case this part is not obvious, no clothes. Why on earth would anyone want to do that or watch that? Well, I suppose lust is a good explanation. And isn't that just a twisted version of the desire to be, to, to be uh, known and to know, to be accepted and loved as we are, to recapture the pristine innocence of Genesis 2, 25. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And the tragedy is that Adam and Eve already had this. Perfect oneness, perfect acceptance, both 
from each other and from their creator. They didn't know what they had until it was gone. They didn't pave paradise and put in a parking lot. No, they forfeited paradise by breaking the only rule they had to keep. Instead of enlightenment, they found enslavement. Instead of secret knowledge, they saw their shame and nakedness. Instead of higher knowledge, they hid from their creator, the lover of their souls. This story is the key to our story. We sinned in him and fell with him in Adam's first transgression. So says the shorter catechism, number 16. Is that fair that we are now fallen in him? Is it fair? Well, God would have been fair to vaporize them on the spot. Is it true? Is this history? Yes, it is. Romans 5 assumes it's true, assumes it's historical as it explains our redemption in Christ, the second Adam. Can I prove that? Not quickly. So I'm going to attempt something simpler for skeptics, for the apathetic, anyone who might be listening. If you think this isn't true, if you think this story doesn't matter, then why does it explain so much of your heart and mine? Why? Maybe it's true. Come and see if it isn't. What if the story is rather simple? Our first parents sin, causing us to fall from grace, plunging into a helpless estate, sinners and rebels in need of a savior. In the words of an old hymn, naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace. How did we get here? Well, it starts with a talking snake and a passive speechless man. Our first point this morning, naked aggression, naked aggression, verses 1 through five, is this just an excuse to use the word naked or does the, does the text suggest this idea? Read with me the beginning of verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The serpent is more crafty or a room in Hebrew. One line above it in the Hebrew Bible, there's also a word, a rumim, the word for naked. There's an intentional play on words here right after the Glorious intimacy of Genesis 2.25, husband and wife, naked and unashamed. Here comes one who is naked in his craftiness, his aggression, his appetite for destruction. The serpent, he's crafty, subtle, or shrewd. He's cunning and not in a good way, more like a deceptive, slippery, shady way. He's also talking, which should have been a warning, right? <laughs> And the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Why is he here? Why does God allow this? We don't know. We know that God gave man a command in a garden full of goodness. They have all that they need. And man was created passe non pacare et passe pacare. It's able to not sin and able to sin, sometimes called a state of original righteousness. For more on that, I'd recommend the July 2020 issue of Table Talk Ma magazine. It's titled The Fourfold State of Humanity, Creation, Fall, Redemption, and Glorification. Eve should know the, the serpent's words. 
wrong. She should know. Adam should have repeated God's command after she was created. He should have emphasized the lavish provision from any tree we can eat. It's just this one that we can't eat. In the day we eat of it, we'll die. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. In Sadel's subtle suggestion, his insinuation, a lot of baggage with that word actually, right? His insinuation is that God is not good, that he has not lavishly provided all that they need and more. Verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Decent answer so far. She continues, verse 3, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Not good. Eve does not know God's word. By the way, that's Adam's fault. But how does she distort God's word? Well, first she exaggerates the prohibition. God never said they couldn't touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, did he? Second, she minimizes her privileges, the goodness of God's provision. She says, we may eat, true enough, but God had said, you may surely eat. Eating, you may eat. God emphasized the privilege. She minimized it. And third, she adds to the word of God, the location of the tree, this tree in the middle of the garden, that, that doesn't appear in verses 16 and 17 of the previous chapter. It does appear when we're talking about the other tree, the tree of life, chapter 2, verse 9. Satan is using God's word against Eve, but Eve doesn't know the word well enough to defend herself. This Slithering snake is prowling like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And in an act of naked aggression, Satan now tells a bold-faced lie about God and his people. Verses 4 and 5, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will not surely die. Even Satan's word order is interesting. The word not in the original language is out of place. It's almost like he says, you not will surely die. John Currid thinks Satan has changed the normal word order to mirror God's original word in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. In other words, Satan seems to know God's word better than Eve. He imitates it. He repeats it better than Eve does. Isn't that a bit scary? Luther famously said in a mighty fortress on earth is not his equal. Satan is more crafty, more cunning, more deceptive than any beast of the field. We ignore that at our own risk, but we're not without hope. This story is the key to our story. Satan kept prowling, slithering and tempting. He tempted Jesus, did he not? And the external temptations were all the same as they were for Eve. The same ones that are mentioned in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In Matthew 4, Satan shows Jesus bread after he fasted for 40 days, the lust of the flesh. He shows Jesus the riches of the world, the lust of the eyes. And he tempts him to show off, to call upon God's angels to rescue him, the pride of life, an unnecessary, in this case, boastful demonstration of divine power. And Jesus, of course, defeats every temptation by quoting the word of God. 
three passages from Deuteronomy 6 through 8, because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus defeats temptation. You might say by never letting evil desire take up residence in his heart. Of course, the impeccability of Christ teaches us there was nothing fallen in Jesus. There was no magnetic attraction to sin in the heart of Jesus. But there is in us. Even after our redemption in Christ, we still struggle against remaining sin. The good that we want to do is not what we do. Paul said evil lies close at hand. We have to defeat sin before it gets its hooks into us. Because the serpent is still on the prowl. In all his malevolent brilliance, as someone says. Adam ignored the talking snake. I advise you don't do the same. When you hear any voice, even your own, denying the goodness of God, denying the state of future rewards and punishments, you shall not surely die. When you hear that, run for cover, flee to God and his word. If you, if you can't think straight, if you can't think of the right verse to combat the lie in front of you, then, then just get away. <laughs> flee first, figure the rest out later. Phone a friend if you have to. If someone suggests that God is repressive or restrictive, you know, he knows that tree, it's going to be good for you. He just doesn't want you to have it. Then remember the steadfast love of the Lord that has not vaporized you yet, which is still pursuing you in spite of your rebellion. When you're confronted by naked aggression from the enemy, take refuge in God's word. All of his promises, all of his provisions, all of his goodness. And if a friend helps you along the way, then rejoice in that. That's what Eve needed. It's what Adam should have provided. That leads to our next point. After naked aggression, we also see, secondly, naked ambition. Naked ambition in verses 5 and 6. Is temptation sin? Is temptation sin? Simplest answer is no, but it's a bit unnuanced. Jesus was tempted and Jesus did not sin, but can you imagine a situation where we are tempted to steal something, for example, and we resist, we don't steal it, but we still sin in our heart. For example, let's say you're at a restaurant, they're taking your order at the counter, you, you pay in cash, kids, that is the green stuff that your grandparents sometimes use, not the credit cards that, that also buy things, you pay in cash, the cashier needs to get you change for your $100 bill, for example, and they, they accidentally leave the register open because they're new with the job, or they leave a stack of bills on the counter. Maybe you see it. Maybe the money falls onto your side of the counter, and you actually have to pick it up and give it back. Maybe they accidentally give you a 10 instead of a 1 as change. Ever happened to any of us? And you know it instantly and you have to decide whether to tell them in all those scenarios what if your heart begins to say I would really like that money I would love to buy a latte or a small burger or a snow cone or whatever if your heart begins to daydream about what that forbidden dollar bill can buy have you sinned? 
I mean, you haven't stolen it yet, right? But you're thinking about it. You want it. Is that sin? A 2020 report from the PCA said this, when temptations come from without, the temptation is not itself sin unless we enter into the temptation. But when the temptation arises from within, it is our own act and it is rightly called sin. If you daydream about somebody else's money or illicit sex or something else for no reason, that is temptation arising from within, and that is sin. Isn't this all just the teaching of James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15? But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. John Owen said, these are, these are five steps that get progressively worse. Your mind is tempted. Your affections want it. Your will consents to an actual outward sin. Your, your inner monologue considers it. And then there is, quote, the stubborn course that finishes sin and ends in death. Isn't sin stubborn? Isn't sin stupid? You see, up to now, what's going on with Eve? Though Eve has certainly made mistakes, not memorizing the word of God, exaggerating the severity of what God said, adding to it unnecessarily, minimizing God's blessings. There's a sense where Eve has not crossed the Rubicon yet, right? She can still resist. She could still not eat the fruit. So can Adam. As wrong as her thoughts and her actions were, she hasn't Sin in her actions yet. Now, could she have stopped here and avoided the curse? I don't know. I doubt it. I think it was inevitable once she doubted God's goodness. My point here is not to understand how far you can tiptoe up to the line of sin and still resist. No. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to flirt with the devil somewhat literally? No. What's the Lord's prayer say? Lead us not into temptation. Teleport me far away from temptation. Keep me on the narrow way that leads to life. But we should understand here that the path of temptation looks subtle. It looks harmless until all of a sudden your eyes are open and your sin is ever before you. As David says in Psalm 51, and you see, at some point here, Eve is no longer just dealing with external temptations, right? At some point, around verse 6, her heart is tempted. She gives in. Temptation is now arising both from without and from within. Her ambition to be like God is taking over. The pride, the desire, they're now out of control. Verse Five, and then we'll read six as well. For God knows, the serpent says, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. What knowledge did the tree of the knowledge of good and evil promise? 
I don't think Adam and Eve knew before they ate. They didn't know the specifics. God told them not to eat because they would die. That was all they needed to know. But they listened to Satan's subtle lies and manipulations. You'll be like God. Your eyes will be opened, enlightened even. You'll know something then that you don't know now. As we said two weeks ago, what if the only thing they didn't know was evil itself? In a sense, they didn't realize how good they had it. I have talked about my friend Brad before. He's a pastor in Florida. He's my former boss. Uh, he became a Christian through Teen Challenge. That's a faith-based drug rehab program, which he only attended so that he could avoid jail time. By comparison, I have a boring Christian testimony. I grew up in the church, and I merely realized after a thousand sermons that I was far more sinful than my seemingly respectable exterior might have indicated. But Brad's story, though it's a bit more splashy the older he got, he kind of stopped telling it as much. And then one time, someone was complaining, lamenting, not me, someone else, that their testimony, I never knew a day when I didn't know Jesus is my savior. They were complaining that their testimony was boring and Brad responded, I wish I had a boring testimony. I hope my kids have a boring testimony. Ignorance of evil can be bliss. <laughs> but on this side of Eden, we may never have that in full. Instead of innocence and ignorance, lust and covetousness have taken hold the fruit looks good to Eve's stomach, her desires. It's a delight to the eyes. It appeals to her pride that wants to be like God. So she eats and then she gives it to Adam. Did you catch this? Who was with her? He's right there. Verse 1 supports this idea that he was there the whole time. When Satan speaks to the woman, he uses a plural pronoun. Did you notice that in your Bible in the footnotes? says that he says something like did God actually say y'all shall not eat and no Satan does not have a southern accent if you're sharp you'll realize I don't either Adam is right there all along could have intervened at any point but he doesn't so they ate they entered a whole new world, but not in a good way. Verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. A few verses ago, they were naked and unashamed. Then their naked ambition took hold of the fruit and now they're searching for fig leaves. The always quotable Derek Kidner says, so simple the act, so hard it's undoing. God will taste poverty and death before take and eat become verbs of salvation. Years ago, I heard somebody say, before we sin, Satan tells us you can get away with it. After we sin, he says you'll never get away with it. Isn't that where Adam and Eve find themselves? Naked aggression tempted them. Their naked ambition latched on to the temptation, and now they find themselves thirdly and finally naked and afraid. Naked and afraid. Don't you see the fear come out in these verses? I'll read several at once, verse 7 through 10. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking 
in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. They see their nakedness. They realize something about this is unnatural. In part, it's because they're no longer in a state of innocence. They sinned. They rebelled against their good creator. They have reason to be ashamed. They know it. They try to hide their shame with fig leaves, loincloths. doesn't work. Intimacy has given way to alienation. Alienation from God himself. Alienation from each other. Verse 8, you might be wondering, how does God walk? Did he make a sound or did he speak? What is the, what's this cool of the day? Well, just remember Solomon said, of the writing of books, there is no end. He wasn't talking about the theories about verse 8, but he could have been. What's the point? God is present in the garden. And that should be a good thing, but now it's not. They hide. They've been alienated from God by sin. Do you ever notice this? That after you've sinned, even if it's relatively small, I was grumpy with my wife and kids. You don't want to think about God. I don't want to think about God. I don't want to hear Bible verses. I don't want to read the devotional book that warmed my soul yesterday. Why is that? Isn't it the fear of being exposed as a sinner? Someone with nothing in my hands to bring before a holy God? God says, where are you? God knows the answer, but he's giving Adam a chance to repent. It's a test, and Adam fails. Verse 10, once again, he says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Your sound I heard, Adam says. Heard could also be translated obey. Uh, we know better. Adam heard, but he didn't obey. It's irony, not ambiguity. God's next question is a bit more direct and accusatory. Verse 11, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? God knows this answer too. Adam has to know that he knows. So what's he do? Verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Throwing God under the bus, his best strategy, blame shifting. We know it, don't we? Avoiding our own guilt and responsibility. Adam blames God. You gave her to me. He also blames his wife. Did, did you eat the forbidden fruit? Well, the woman, you gave it. She gave me the fruit. We've gone from naked and unashamed, from pristine innocence in poetry, bone of my bones, to this blame-shifting, alienation, enmity. The loincloths, the fig leaves, they can't cover their shame. The blame-shifting can't cover their sin. And yes, Eve blame-shifts too. She blames the serpent in verse 13. We'll see it more next week. If you don't think we've gone deep enough, more next week. If you think I'm going too slow, James Boyce preached 14 sermons on Genesis 3. So just remember that. Naked and afraid. Shamed, alienated, hiding from God, hating each other, blaming the other, 
clutching on to fig leaves and lame excuses to hide from reality. That's where Adam and Eve are. I kind of want to leave them there. I kind of want to stop the sermon there, to let the point sink in, to show us where our own wisdom can lead us and leave us. From paradise to paradise lost in no time. But I'm not going to do that. Here's what we'll see next week. We'll see that even at this low point, when Adam and Eve find themselves naked and afraid, and deservedly so, even here God's grace swoops in to save them. Every problem they have will be solved. Every need will be met once again, even though they don't deserve it. They're Enemy crushed one day, their shame covered by God himself in a better way, a better covering, their sin forgiven and not because they deserve it or earned it, their home, yes, God will banish them from this home, but only because he's preparing a better one, their sin nature, this corrupt nature that we inherit, it's not just forgiven by grace, but renewed by grace, transformed. Be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Those words, like some others have used, they come from Rock of Ages, a great hymn. A hymn that does something slightly unusual. A hymn that talks about our nakedness, our great need, which can all be met in Christ. Third verse says, Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling, naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. This story is the key to our story. Ever since Adam, we all enter this world naked and afraid, but in Christ, the second Adam, we can be known and accepted, loved and adopted recreated and reassured of his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Now to explain all that, I need another week. But to experience it, you don't need to wait at all. It can all be yours right now through faith in Christ, the great and mighty snake crusher. Let's pray. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, gracious Savior, my ruined life. O Father, we come to you and we know that we deserve to be where Adam and Eve are as we pause this story. This is how it should have ended. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And Father, yes, their death began at this point, spiritually and in every other way. But Father, there is a promise of life that's held forth, not just to them, but to all of us. Through Christ, the one who kept the covenant of works on our behalf, in our place, who suffered and bled and died for us, paying the penalty for covenant breakers. He became a curse for us. so that we might be redeemed from the curse. Oh, Father, we thank you for the richness of Scripture. We thank you for the richness of your provision, not simply in Eden, 
but all the blessings that we have in Christ, all the blessings, the down payments of the future glory and inheritance that we will one day taste in heaven. Father, be with us. Help us to taste and see that you are good. Help us to take hold of the promise of life that we have in Christ, whether we're doing it for the first time, whether we're doing it for the 400th time. If thou hast drawn a thousand times, draw me, Lord, again. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.